Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be harmless phosphorescence. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Thoreau Smiley. I love money, I love power, and I love capitalism. Who's joining me this week? I'm Josh Cece, and I grew up during the Manic Depression. <laughs> Why any kid would want to be an orphan is beyond me. I'm Brian Lesh. <laughs> I'm Alaric Weber, but maybe when I wake, they'll be there, calling me baby. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, Al. We will. Maybe, baby. We'll all be standing over your bed like your Dorothy Gale. Wearing, wearing tails. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is Harmless Phosphorescence. It's the podcast where we watch movies <laughs> at this point. I'm not sure what kind they are, but we watch Annie's a, Annie's a superhero. We'll get there. She is. She is comic adjacent. Um, uh, yeah. Last week you watched the prequel, or two weeks ago, the prequel, Stir of Echoes. Yeah. <laughs> and now Annie. <laughs> it's the Kevin Bacon game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so uh, either way, we watch the movie, we gather some research into the production and the source material, and we tell you all about it. Uh, this show is brought to you by patrons, patrons like executive producers Michael Beckwith and Mr. Atticus Burkett. Do you want your name read there? We'll say, we, we could say a third name. We can. You're <laughs> not obligated to say yeah. two. Yeah. Those are just the guys that, <laughs> that are that level of patron. You can yeah, do it too. There are writer dies at this point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, head over to patreon.com slash harmless entertainment. A buck a month is all you need to get into the bonus content there. Uh, we got a ton of other of shows that aren't available on the main feed. Uh, we just recorded um, uh, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau. It just went up. Oh, man. Um, we all painted our faces white. That is a doozy. Yeah, it is. Uh, Our face is white. <laughs> we just we were all allergic to the sun. We all are. We are. I am. Yes. We I, all are. <laughs> I was part man, part platypus. Um, it gives you cancer. Uh, so that's just the radiation. It's yeah. An allergy. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. The sun doesn't it's show up and bully you into cancer. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely the rays. Uh, Annie, Annie will bull you don't. cancer, though. Yeah, the, the sun's at the door. <laughs> the, the, the sun, it's a threat. The sun will come out tomorrow. Um, <laughs> That's a movie poster tag. Oh Annie has a giant gun. It's like a Predator movie. <laughs> Annie and Daddy Warbucks it's standing like, back to back. It, it's like Alien. Annie and Daddy. It's like Alien. It just says, Annie in the alien font. Oh, wow. The sun will come out tomorrow at the bottom. The sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. In a world. Annie is Ripley with the gun. Yeah. <laughs> Bad call, Annie. Bad call. Uh, um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're this month we're going to be doing Any Which Way You Can, the sequel to Any Which Way But Loose, which we did uh, a year or two back. Um, that's uh, on the page. Starring Clyde. Starring Clyde and some Clyde and Clint back together. Up and Clyde coming. Clyde ended up in cover. Book. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so. All you do. <laughs> Clyde got him the job. 
Uh, so patreon.com slash harmless entertainment buck a month. That's all you need to get going on that. This week on Harmless Phosphorescence, though, we are going to be watching Annie. The sun will come out tomorrow, so you gotta hang on till tomorrow. In today's troubled world, it's nice to know there's still someone you can count on. All right, who's next? the rags-to-riches story everyone knows. It's the songs everyone loves. It's the movie everyone's waiting for. It's Annie. It's the hard-knock life for us. It's the hard-knock life for us. Stan and Trinette, we get tricks. Stan and says, we get tricks. It's the hard-knock life. Where's Annie? She had to go bathroom. She had to go bathroom. Little girls, little girls, everywhere I turn, I can see them. Annie, how would you like to spend a week with Mr. Warbucks at his house? Oliver Warbucks, the millionaire? Oh, no, Oliver Warbucks, the billionaire. Leaping lizards! Leaping lizards! The swimming pool is down the stairs. Inside the house? Oh, boy! The tennis court is... In the rear. I never even picked up a rocket. I think I'm gonna like it. I'm a businessman. I love money. I love power. I love capitalism. I do not now and never will love children. Blow it out, your old wise dude. I might learn to like her. Hang her in my bathroom. Oh, my goodness. I want to talk to you about Annie. I want to adopt her. Annie. Starring Albert Finney as Daddy Warbucks. I love you, Daddy Warbucks. I don't need sunshine now to turn my skies to blue. I don't need anything but you. Carol Burnett as Miss Hannigan. We love you, Miss Hannigan. Shut up. Bernadette Peters. And Tim Curry. As the kidnappers. Oh, sir, we're... We're just so thrilled to have found Annie. Ranking as Miss Farrell. We got Annie. We got Annie. We've got Annie. Jeffrey Holder as Punjab. Edward Herman as FDR. Be proud to be Americans. That's a swell idea. Sandy as himself. <laughs> and introducing Aileen Quinn. Leaping lizards. As Annie. I didn't want to be just another orphan, Mr. Warbucks. I wanted to believe I was special. You are special. Never stop believing that. She's the child in all of us. She'll put a song in your heart and a smile on your face. She's Annie. Woo, Annie. It was released May 21st, 1982, 
It had a running time of 128 minutes. It cost $35 million, and it made $57 million at the box office. So it was, it did okay. Yeah. Um, that trailer, man, it was the whole movie. Pretty much. But I don't know. It made you want to see those musical numbers, the, the further choreography. But yeah, story-wise. Uh, I think it's a lot like Popeye, which we did, where it's like sort of a mundane property, you know, was ubiquitous. It's always been around, but like somehow the little musical version pulled off and became something bigger than the sum. You know what I mean? Like we all liked Popeye. We're like, you know what? This is not bad for what it is. Yeah. It had that same energy because I don't think I read a panel of Little Orphan Annie. Oh, oh God, no. No, no. Was it even still running by the like in the eighties yeah, and nineties? Sure. The limited run in orphanages. Sorry, I'm going to make so many <laughs> the orphan I'm paper sorry. extra extra the orphan orphanariums. Press. Yeah, the uh, we'll get there. Oh yeah, no, no. I, oh yeah, yeah. I'll, Al's got I'll his have that stats, but I remember it. Yes, for sure. Um, so I can picture the style. She had the pupilless eyes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, they the, <laughs> that, that that was apparently the property that uh, everyone was waiting for. According to that trailer, it had like the the stylized uh, Annie uh, uh, title and, and uh-huh. everything. It was that was IP. Oh. Yeah, it was huge to the older yeah. to the radio crowd. Yeah. yeah, the Popeye comparison is is definitely a good one. I I definitely it's like, it's like we got in a Betty Boop movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, all these 30s characters. Well, and it was a thing where you wouldn't have thought about it necessarily, but it couldn't have been anything but a musical. No, absolutely. It was, you know, Popeye yeah. having all these serious fucking. <laughs> Let the sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, I do definitely think that Annie, <laughs> Annie, I think the music in Annie was better than the music in Popeye, despite no. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh, the music in Annie is better than the music in a lot of things this and music yeah, is incredible it's one of yeah. the best original musicals yeah. ever so good yeah, no, yeah so the good. fact that hard knock life comes on and i'm hearing hip-hop in my head is like a yeah. testament to the power of this music yes. absolutely john houston and jay-z yeah inseparable <laughs> jay-z theater kid <laughs> confirmed yeah <laughs> yeah he was in drama club most afternoons uh, um he <laughs> yeah uh um no I, I mean i used to sing tomorrow to uh to 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 my kids when they were little babies like to uh, like to go to sleep like you know so i think like, of it from the movie dave oh huh because that's sigourney weaver and kevin klein they do that to get out of being the president and the vice president or the and the first lady Oh, I God, I haven't watched Dave in years. Weird. I watched this. So, you know, I grew up with my grandparents an awful lot, both sets. And like my grandmother was very busy. She was working a job and raising us. So she'd stop at the video store and she didn't have time to like look around the video store. So she would grab a musical. And that's why I just like, well, you know, I've seen almost every kind of musical, especially from the 40s through the 60s. And it was that thing. Like, she just knew it was good. Didn't have to read the back. Didn't have to spend time. Yeah. So, I, I watched yeah. a lot of musicals as a kid for the same exact reason. 
This is grandparents. So these songs, they're safe, indelible. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny because now musicals are gay, whereas back then it was like, no, they're safe. Yeah, yeah. They're now, the, now another form of like, entertainment. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's very- uh, yeah. I didn't get on the Hamilton thing. I, I don't quite. I think the concept is high art, but none of the songs grab me. I want to sing these songs, these Annie songs. When they come <laughs> on, I want to seriously. Sing I cannot help but do it. Jude, Jude got super into Hamilton for a while, so um, I'm. So did I, I know the songs fairly well, ish. Mm-hmm. I've only actually watched Hamilton once, although yeah. personally, but same, same. Yeah, the kids seem to like it. Which right off, it's about history. Fucking a. Yeah. Well, and I think generationally it's very too. niche. It's it's very it's very modern Disney because it's Lin Manuel Miranda and mm. everything modern Disney and I think that a lot of kids are that's it's right up their alley. Yeah, no, super. Oops. Um, it's funny musicals musicals are a bit are in a bit of a renaissance right now. There's one called like there's a there's a troupe that does um ones like the guy who didn't like musicals that are all like YouTube based they just do uh like community theater and put them on youtube and have like 25 million views but uh i'd love to be in a big time musical oh fuck yeah i'll be in anything i don't mean a hollywood as far as big time but i mean an actual production like the the wizard of oz was the the closest i had my my high school my voice was changing terribly my high school theater teacher was in a an off-broadway production of the music man which a lot of people have but he showed us the video and it was him in the background chorus of people and it is one of my favorite memories of somebody living <laughs> reliving their glory days in an embarrassing way it's like oh yeah. you gotta see it oh and you remember of had, the chorus many of us had already seen it <laughs> so it's just like oh he's gonna show you guys again it's gonna be great Anyways, uh, I got to be Bob Cratchit yeah. and Scrooge once. That was <laughs> that's great. That's, yeah, I did an amazing Cockney accent. <laughs> um, so, anyways, Annie, um, it didn't make a ton of money. It made its money back. I'm sure it did fine on video. Uh, oh, in yeah. the years to come, because that's how we all watched it. I definitely didn't see it in the theater. I would have been. Five, six. Uh, we could have, but we didn't. Yeah. Or I didn't. <laughs> yeah, no. My dad was not going to sit through Annie <laughs> to take me. I mean, to I, I suppose now that I'm thinking about it, my very same grandmother could have, but yeah, I would have been five. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, so I think let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about the box office top ten. This is the game where I will describe the top 10 movies of the week. It was released, which is May 21st, 1982. And the uh, guys here are going to try to guess what movie. It it only went into limited release for like three weeks. So it, it opened at number 11. It would later go up to uh, n- number two when it opened wide, um, okay. which is like a month later. But the week it opened... It was only open in L.A., Chicago, and New York, and it still made almost a million dollars. So, um, pretty good. Yeah. Um, but opening at, or not opening, but number ten at the box office for the week of May twenty first, nineteen eighty two. A TV reporter finds himself in the middle of an Arab leader buying two portable nukes, terrorists arms dealers, a reporter, 
CIA spy killed, a U.S. president ordering a K-I-L-L, etc. I read that word for word. That's a terrible description. Um, I'm going to read instead. Uh, you think it's a comedy? Is it a comedy? It it looks like a it looks like a comedy. I'm gonna open. Oh. I'm gonna. Uh, didn't know. Let's see. The uh, at the height of the Cold War too. The the tagline is in a moment World War Three. But first, a word from our sponsor. Oh. 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 Uh, let's see this. Uh, Gaza must be. Crazy. Yeah, is that? Hmm. Oh no, that's Sean Connery. Oh my God, starring oh, Sean Connery. Uh, he looks like Burt Reynolds on the poster. Uh-huh. It does. Let's see. Uh, I'll read the uh, the actual tagline here. Patrick Hale was invented for television. He's a superstar TV reporter whose special news broadcasts reach a billion people every day, and in the past ten hours, he has uncovered the most incredible story of his career. The bad news is, is it involves the president, vice president, director of the CIA, a trigger-happy general, an Arab terrorist, a European arms dealer, religious fanatics, and the result may be World War III. The good news is, his ratings are going through the roof. That sounds interesting. I want to watch that, actually. Um, Damn. It's called Wrong... The Highlander. It's called Wrong is Right. That's the name of the movie? Wrong is Right. Yeah, and it's Sean Connery in okay. in a really terrible wig. Um, <laughs> uh, like, uh, as a news reporter, holding a microphone, doing this, and behind him, there's a mushroom cloud. What is this? We're in an audio he's, medium. Oh, yeah, yeah. Holding his hands. arms out like, hey, like a game show oh. host. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me no one can see us, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I've never heard of that movie before, but interesting. Um, at number nine at the box office, a struggling female soprano finds work playing a male-female impersonator, but it complicates her personal life. Uh, was it Julie Andrews? One of the bullets. Oh, Victor Victoria? Yeah, Blake Edwards, Victor Victoria. <laughs> the disguise surprise comedy of the year. <laughs> Hello, surprise! <laughs> <laughs> um, at number eight at the box office this week, Norman is a curmudgeon with an estranged relationship with his daughter, Chelsea. He and his wife agree nevertheless to care for Billy, the son of Chelsea's new boyfriend, and a most unexpected relationship blooms. This is uh, Henry Fonda and Audrey Hepburn in... I'm sorry, Catherine Hepburn. On Golden Pond, yes. And Jane Fonda. I forgot Jane Fonda was... (laughs) Played Henry Fonda's daughter. (laughs) What a stretch. (laughs) My mom loved that movie. I saw it a few times. I saw it a few times. It was always... Oh, no, I'm in yeah. poop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, it was always like, oh, it's the old people movie. <laughs> when I was... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on a pond. <laughs> I was always like, they're not literally on the pond. What's, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> I want a water world type scenario. Yeah. <laughs> I will kill you for your water. <laughs> We're in the pond again, Norman. 
Uh, uh, opening this <laughs> yes, week. folks, I do a Catherine Hepburn. Come see me. Come see me, kids. All you kids. Yeah, if if, if maybe Family Guy is looking for a new Catherine Hepburn or something. That's, <laughs> a about, new one. that's about the level we're on. I mean, they, they have a strange amount of Catherine Hepburn cutaways. So they do. Um, at numbers opening at number seven this week. It's a hard crime story about a Philadelphia shop owner who's had enough of the criminal's violence and ravages. He organizes a patrol of civil people. It all starts to go wrong because his team's actions are taken as racial discrimination. <laughs> um, newsflash, they were probably a little racist. It was 1982. Yeah. Is this Clint Eastwood? It's not. It's um, not Clint Eastwood. It's not, not Charles Bronson. Yeah, um, it's... um. It's about the guardian angels type thing. It's right? I I mean no, it's ooh, I I don't know who's in this. Let me I hmm. like was it about like kind of a vigilante? It's about a vigilante great it's more like the uh, Homer gets a gun episode where he <laughs> and, oh. um hmm. I don't know. Um, yeah, I have never heard of this before, but it looks racist as hell. Tall starring Tom Skerritt. Oh shit, Scarrett. Yeah, Tom Scarrett. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's definitely the biggest name. Um, thieves, pimps, prostitutes, muggers, and drug dealers beware! John D'Angelo's out to make his neighborhood safe. He's declaring his own personal war on crime, and he doesn't want your kind around here anymore. Jeez. Ooh, that's racist. Oh, yeah, it's called fighting back. Against who? The the well, I mean, you know, mostly black people. <laughs> Let's be yeah. clear. Well, I mean, the late seventies, early eighties, crime was a whew. yeah. They're fighting crime. Yeah, yeah. nationwide Which, crime was was intense. Yeah. I, uh, you know, the whole leaded, of... the whole leaded gas theory. <laughs> oh well, that and people importing fucking massive amounts of drugs from Southeast Asia. Yeah, because because we were at war there. Uh, I mean, the homeless were created during that period yeah. because of all the veterans coming home and yeah. all the people <laughs> losing jobs. And, and then Reaganomics. Yeah, Reagan, yeah, Reagan <laughs> did his part. Yeah, fucking Reagan. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, at number six of the box office. <laughs> Anybody who's like nostalgic for the 80s does not remember how brown, cigarette smoky, and Reaganomic y it was. <laughs> or they, they were rich. Not. Yeah. Exactly. Because you know, they didn't eat at Denny's because they were rich. Denny's, which was all three of those things brown, yeah, yeah. smoky, and Reaganomic y. <laughs> totally. The, the moons over Miami tasted mostly like Marlboro. Yep. Um. Anyways, at uh, number six this week, two British track athletes, one a determined Jew. <laughs> Did you? I'm not even going to repeat it. Did I hear it right? You heard it right. <laughs> That's what it says. And the other, a devout Christian, are driven to win in the 1924 Olympics as a rescue as they wrestle with issues of pride and conscience. 
dun, dun, Racing for God. Dun, dun, dun. Chariots of Fire. Yeah, Chariots of Fire. Huh. Um, yeah. I guess I didn't know there was that subject. I don't remember yeah. watching it. I just remember I just, the beach scene that yeah, was all. Yeah. Bum, 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 I know bum, the Vangelis music. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know it was an unlikely bedfellow situation. Yeah. I like the Old Testament. I like the new. <laughs> what you gonna do? <laughs> um, at number five this week. Oh my god. This this is a movie I have not seen since I was like seven. Um a mercenary with a three-bladed sword rediscovers his royal heritage's dangerous future. When he is recruited to help a princess foil the designs of a brutal, brutal tyrant and a powerful wizard in conquering a land. Crawl. No. Damn. Oh, but the three-bladed thing—that uh, definitely. But this is like a. Uh, they call it a three- handheld three-bladed sword. Yeah, it's like the middle one is big and thick and then there's two smaller thinner <laughs> blades on each oh. side of it. You're describing my penis. <laughs> it's a three-pronged affair. <laughs> is it, it, so it's like a European versus Welcome, the US. This is a three-pronged affair. <laughs> oh, should, am I underdressed? Like, are, are you circumcised? In a manner of speaking. Yeah, constantly. Conan? No, it's 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 a Red Sonia? it's definitely a lesser known um okay. of the early eighties um uh, sword fantasy and sand thing. fantasy boom. It's it's the sword and the sorcerer. Oh. Okay. We did Beastmaster, right? We yeah, did we Beastmaster, yeah. yeah. We did. yeah. Which lots I, of pouches, lots of ferrets. <laughs> ferret pouch. You know, that's Get in not my legal ferret pouch. in the city uh, limits uh, aquatic. Um... Yeah. Uh, opening opening at number four this week. <laughs> in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, a cynical drifter agrees to help a small gasoline-rich community escape a horde of bandits. Oh. The Road Warrior. The Road Warrior, a.k.a. Mad Max 2. <laughs> the tagline on the poster is, just one man can make a difference. <laughs> Community organizer, Mad Max. <laughs> He's like, it takes a village. To, <laughs> to hoard gas. Um, I watched the uh, Beyond Blunderdome. The Simpsons with Mel Gibson, and he's obviously the most problematic man alive, probably close to close. Yeah, but anyways, that is just a gem of an episode. I I I still cannot believe that he's making the 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 the, the Passion of the Christ too. That feels like a Simpsons joke. Like, wait, well, there was is that real? There was he's a making, sequel. Yes, he it's real. It's not a joke. He's really making the sequel to The Passion of the Christ. Jesus wrote his own sequel. I mean, he came back. I mean, right? is it like the resurrection? I assume. This one was like a, a brutal version of the crucifixion. Yeah, I assume. Well, it so the pa- usually the Passion comes before Easter, right? So it'll be yeah. uh, sort of a telling. I, I hope that. I hope that he makes it like where Jesus is just a spooky ghost character who just scares the hell out of people. <laughs> no, he's a like, Jedi. Like he scares them straight. Where he's, he's like a dead Jedi. 
scares them straight. <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh shit, he really is. He really is. He's straight. like, you don't want to be like me, living in a cave <laughs> down by the river. <laughs> down by the river. Or maybe it's. Maybe it's like a uh, a guild destroyed and Rosencrantz are dead kind of situation. Like it follows the the timeline uh, from a different perspective. <laughs> it's a right, Rashomon. Right. A, a story a storyline that we're yeah not following. <laughs> I mean, that was just life of Brian. Like like every yeah. once in a while, you just see Christ in the background, uh, yeah. <laughs> carting the cross. <laughs> just walk away. Like, oh, that there goes homeboy. There goes homeboy. <laughs> no pleasing some people. Um, at number three this week, in 1954, a group of Florida high school guys try to help their buddy lose his virginity, which leads them to seek revenge <laughs> on a sleazy nightclub owner and his redneck sheriff brother for oh. harassing them. Porkies. Porkies. Yes, indeed. Which, AKA Sexual Assault the Movie. Which I never saw. Never? I saw it never. as a little kid on television. I, I saw it as yeah, a kid. It was on HBO a lot. Yeah. yeah. The 90s were crazy. All the parties. Uh, yeah. We didn't have cable, and my mom was not about to rent Porky's at the video yeah. store. I, it's understandable. Yeah, I don't know where I saw it, but I remember I remember the shower scene with the hole in the shower, which which was like the hole in the shower, the girl's shower was is like was like especially cut out and it had like like chrome around it. Like someone someone crafted that. Like the, a plumber, <laughs> yes. a plumber did that. <laughs> yeah. The only reason I was so quick on that answer was because someone had mentioned Porky's recently, and I was like, what is that movie about? And looks up the trailer. Oh, far out. <laughs> they made, what, three or four of them? I yeah. Think so. Porky's Revenge or something. That's um, a series. <laughs> I love that in The Office, Phyllis and Let's Aaron. Not. Yeah. Let's just not do that one. Phyllis is like, yeah, you know, I did give away a child for adoption around the general time and place. Um, it could have been us, but you know, I don't know. There were a lot of pork porkies had just come out. There were a lot of <laughs> Aaron's like, yeah, I was probably just another porkies baby. <laughs> a porkies baby. Um at number two this week. A detective uncovers a sinister plot. That's I, what they do. Uh okay. Um this is a okay. It's a film noir parody, with characters okay. from real noirs appearing as scenes from various films. Oh, um, Purple Rose dead, of Cairo. No, no, not Purple Rose of Cairo, but Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Steve Martin and Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Was I was funny. thinking Steve Martin, and then I... that was a a Carl Reiner joint. Yep. Yeah. Um. And at number one this week. A young boy becomes a slave after his parents are killed and his tribe destroyed by a a savage warlord and a sorcerer. When he grows up, he becomes a fearless, invincible fighter. Set free, he plots revenge against them. I feel like you're talking about Star Wars. No. Conan. Conan the Barbarian. The Barbarian. Yes. Uh, 
the libraries. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Arnold's first big starring role. That's a movie that brought us Arnold. So uh, that is the box office top 10 for the week of May 21st, 1982, which brings us to the character background. Al. Anius. Ooh, gross. Uh, okay, Little Orphan Annie is the name of the newspaper comic strip created by Harold Gray, syndicated by the Chicago Tribune Syndicate, debuting as a test strip in the New York Daily News on August 5th of 1924. 99 years ago. Yep. Uh, the strip followed the adventures of Annie, her dog Sandy, and her benefactor Oliver Daddy Warbucks. Um, Harold Gray reported that inspiration for Annie came from an encounter with a ragamuffin while wandering Chicago looking for cartooning ideas. <gasps> oh, there were just <laughs> ragamuffins about back then. Yeah, yeah. That's all, where the word, all yeah. over the place. Um, quote, I talked to this little kid and liked her right away. She had common sense, knew how to take care of herself. She had to. Her name was Annie. At the time, some 40 strips were using boys as main characters, and only three were using girls. Um, so he made his title character an orphan. Ragamuffin, not necessarily orphan. Um, freeing her and the story from the tangling alliances of family, giving her the freedom to go where she pleased. <laughs> what all kids want. Yeah. A rich benefactor's house. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's interesting, though, as a story idea. Um, and that probably explains why all of our superheroes are orphans, to free them from the constraints of family. The, the trappings of family? Yeah. Yeah, they don't have to worry about it. They can just, we're not like constantly thinking, like, oh, what about their parents? Yeah. Aunt May's not as worried about Peter jumping out a window. And the collateral damage. Yeah. 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 The strip borrowed its title from an uh, a an 1885 James Whitcomb Riley poem called "Little Orphant Annie." Orphant. Yeah, that was a. It, it's orphan, but it's a, oh. an outdated term. Hmm. <laughs> the orphans got together and they're like, "That's not the proper nomenclature." <laughs> Um, the Tribune debuted a test run in the New York Daily News starting August 5th, 1924. Due to positive response, Little Orphan Annie beca began as a Sunday strip November 2nd and a daily strip November 10th in the Chicago Tribune. Uh, then soon was offered for syndication. Pretty standard. The story opens on a dreary Dickensian orphanage where Annie is routinely abused by the cold and sarcastic matron Miss Asthma, who is eventually eventually replaced by the equally mean Miss Treat. <laughs> Miss Treat. Yeah. See oh, the there. irony. Oh, Miss Treat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ah, oh I get it. Uh, <laughs> one day. One day, the wealthy but mean-spirited Mrs. Warbucks, no, there was a Mrs. Warbucks, takes She's Annie not Mommy into... Warbucks? I'm sorry. 
uh, she takes Annie into her home, quote, on trial. Mrs. Warbucks makes it clear that she does not like Annie and tries to send her back to the home, but is caught in the act by a society friend and begrudgingly changes her mind. Her husband Oliver returns from a business trip and instantly develops a paternal affection for Annie, instructing her to address him as Daddy. Uh, the Warbuckses originally had a dog named One Lung. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ! What? Were they pirates? Uh, the dog liked Annie. Uh, the girl is also well-liked by the household staff. Mrs. Warbucks is a status-conscious woman who feels that Oliver and Annie are ruining her socially. Early strips relied on a formula by which Daddy Warbucks is called away on business and Annie is cast out of the house, out of the Warbucks mansion, by the nasty Mrs. Warbucks or some other variety of contrivances. I'm so glad they did not pursue that in this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Annie would then wander the countryside, meeting new people and helping them in their daily struggles. Annie would ultimately encounter the villain who would be vanquished by the returning Daddy Warbucks, and the two are reunited. They go home, reset, do it all over again. <laughs> uh, early stories dealt with political corruption, criminal gangs, and corrupt, corrupt institutions. So she is straight up solving crimes. She's fighting crime. Yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah, she is. She is a superhero. Ah. Um, the strip was conservative and topical, representing Gray's personal vision and a philosophy of hard work, respect for elders, and a cheerful outlook on life. He hated FDR. Getting there. Okay. Um, okay. <clears throat> Little Orphan Annie became even more popular during the Great Depression. Uh, the strip's political commentary often targeted organized labor, and the New Deal. The strip was the basis of a radio show airing from 1930 to 1942 and <laughs> two, two films in 1932 to 1938, helping out the strip's popularity. A 1937 Fortune magazine popularity poll ranked Little Orphan Annie number one ahead of Popeye, Dick Tracy, Bringing Up Father, The Gumps, Blondie, Moon Mullins, Joe Palooka, Lil Abner and Tilly the Toiler. There's several there that I knew all did not. Of those, but the last. No, what was bringing up father? I don't know. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, there was one or two others there that I yeah, didn't. Tilly Moon Mullins. Moon Mullins. I did not. I remember recognize. Moon Mullins. Those two guys. I. Yeah, the last one's the only one I didn't know, but I teach cartooning, so I have to know. What was the last one? Tilly the Toiler. <laughs> I don't know Tilly the Toiler. I'm like still holding out for a Tilly the Toiler movie. <laughs> it's like hey, there's the money Miller, to be made. A, t a, 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 a gritty, dark Tilly the Toiler <laughs> reboot. As World War II loomed, the strip depicted Daddy Warbucks bolstering his fortune gleefully by manufacturing tanks, planes, and munitions. It's like his last name was somehow... <laughs> Warbucks. Um, War there was a point. Uh, there was a point in the 30s during the Depression when uh, Daddy Warbucks lost his fortune um, 
due to uh, a corrupt business rival. Um, but he, get, <laughs> he gets it back somehow. Gold. There's always money in war. Uh, <laughs> there's always the money in the stand. war stand. Yeah. yeah. It's one war, Michael. <laughs> what could it cost? $10. It's a great war. When the United States entered the war, Annie herself somehow blows up a German submarine. Fuck yeah. That's what I'm oh fucking talking about. God. Yeah. She um, is a superhero. Then she organized groups of junior commandos in the collection of newspapers, scrap <laughs> metal, and other recyclable materials. That's probably a better job for yeah. a kid. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> idea. Scrap metal. <laughs> and that's when tentness was invented. The idea caught on in real life with schools and parents organizing similar groups. Gray himself was praised far and wide for his war effort brainchild. We see that in uh, not in an American context, but we see that in a German context in uh, what's it called? Jojo Rabbit. Mm. Uh, At the very end of the war where the kids are walking around begging for scrap metal. Okay. Yeah. This one's good. In 1944, Daddy Warbucks died of despair at the re-election of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yes! <laughs> That's amazing! Um, suggesting that Daddy Warbucks and FDR could not coexist in the world. His death was retconned to a coma from which he awoke in 1945, coinciding with FDR's real-world death. <laughs> it's like, it's like a picture of Dorian Gray. Like, yeah, only one of them can be alive at the time. Yeah, so, so social safety nets are his kryptonite. Well, That's so interesting. Money war profiteering. So yeah, yeah. It's well, and it seems like this originally was a property that was a cheerleader for you know uh, capital and industry. And, oh yeah big business and which, you know, which regulation it, it's funny how the movie kind of references that because it seems like maybe that's something the old generation knew and understood but the, the movie kind of has the like capitalism is the enemy kind of thing going on at the same time inside it which is interesting for something from the 80s yeah and disney well yeah but but it was yes but also it was was based on in large part on the musical which yeah. was a seventy. Disney didn't make it, right? I thought this was a Disney. Disney? Oh, that's right. This no. is an MGM. Property. That's oh, right. Sorry, yeah. MGM. But it was a. It, it was. It I was... watched. I watched the Shaggy Da last night, and that's still okay. in my brain. <laughs> All the Shaggy movies are old. Disney movies. Don't get me started. All right. Uh, in post-war years, Annie took on the bomb, communism, teenage rebellion, and child labor laws. <laughs> Yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. Annie's a fascist. Ooh. That's great. Um, She's here to yeah, protect industry. More of a socialist, I think. Well, no, I mean She's she took on child labor laws. She's taking on child labor laws. She's against I don't think them. that she was advocating for them. No, she's against them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's more of um, a fascist like bring the children into the workplace. 
Well, if there was so, a social safety net, less children would have been. Yeah. Right, right. But Barrel- she was against the social safety yeah. net in the She comic. wanted the kids to be working. She wanted these uh, orphans to have jobs. It was a Barrel- conservative <laughs> strip. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like I guess I misunderstood. Yeah. No, no. Um, like I was, I was saying specifically, he was against FDR, against. No, no. Uh, I know. Yeah. The child labor thing, I misheard. Uh, I thought just, she was against it. It's just crazy in my brain because, like, we get so much propaganda through comic books that we don't really acknowledge. Like, it's pro-police, it's pro-military, it's pro-imperialism, all these other things that we could get into. But this is, like, wow. It's, like, very, very strongly. The guy's name is Warbucks. He brought in an orphan. So, uh, Harold Gray believed that children should be allowed to work. And, quoting, a little work never hurt any kid. <laughs> it goes on one of the one of the reasons we have so much juvenile delinquency is that kids are forced by law to loaf around on street corners and get into trouble forced what? by law Damn. how did this guy end up a cartoonist <laughs> some real hardline see, views see, like see. imagine jim davis <laughs> imagine garfield preaching <laughs> The kids are not all right, man. Uh, he also thinks that he's gotten too fishy. <laughs> so I think the key thing there is a little work. Hard work. Never heard a kid. <laughs> I'm not sure 90 mining. hours a week in a coal mine is little. Industrial presses that they have uh, to climb in or to a, unjam. Or a munitions factory. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> And the reason the children are on the streets is because their parents are working 90 hours as well. Right. Or their dads, um, they were ground up by the mill. Well, you know what? <laughs> Luckily, the internet's been invented, and now they don't loaf around on street corners anymore. They just sit in their rooms. on. Yeah, they don't go out. They really don't. They don't. So the uh, strip continued... Um, under other cartoonists after Harold Gray's death in 1968, but popularity declined. In April 1974, it was decided to reprint Gray's classic strips, which ran until December of 1979. The strip was then resurrected in 1979 after the success of the Broadway musical. Now simply titled Annie, It was written and drawn by Leonard Starr, the only person other than Gray to achieve success with the strip. Starr produced the the one I knew. Yes, uh, indeed. Um, Starr produced the strip until February of 2000. The new creators after Starr tried to update the characters and settings, uh, modernize them a bit, but it was not well received and it was canceled in 2010. The final story has Annie kidnapped and presumed dead by Warbucks and the FBI. She's and act- the FBI? Uh-huh. Warbucks called the FBI and they 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 come to the conclusion that she will not be found alive. She is actually being held in Guatemala <laughs> by the Butcher of the Balkans, who says he will neither kill her kill her nor let her go. And end the scene. Oh wow. I almost joked about her being taken by Somali pirates, but well, far out. Four years later, in the panels 
In the panels of Dick Tracy, Warbucks enlists the aid of the detective. Tracy determines the location of Annie. Um, the kidnapper is tracked down and made to disappear. And Annie is rescued by Tracy and Warbucks. So Annie's so, in the Tracy verse. She is in the Tracy verse. So um, four years later is in 2014 or four years later in the comic? 2014. Wow. Dick yeah. Tracy and Annie. 2014. Um, and I think she's made a universe. She's made a couple of appearances in Dick Tracy since. Since? Wow. We're still reading that, dude? So Dick, yeah. Wait, the Dick, Dick Tracy's still going. This fucking Apple Watch. Everyone has one now. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, things just got weird in my brain. All right. Uh, some other characters in the film from the comics. Sandy the dog, of course, was introduced in January of 1925 um, when Annie rescues uh, the puppy from a gang of abusive boys. A puppy at the time, Annie gives Sandy to the owner of a steak joint um, presumably she's not at the Warbucks mansion at this time, believing he can give the dog a good home. Sandy reappears four months later. A mature dog rescues Annie from gypsy kidnappers, and the two remain together thereafter. We have Punjab, an eight-foot native of India, introduced in 1935. Warbucks' bodyguard and right-hand man. Upon his introduction, Annie's adventures um, went from the typically believable realistic uh, to more frequently touching upon the supernatural, the cosmic, and the fantastic. And finally, the Asp was introduced in 1937, another bodyguard of Warbucks, Wikipedia describes the asp as an inscrutably generalized East Asian and says very little else. Yeah. Um, one final note, Annie has a couple of catchphrases, G-Whiskers and Leapin' Lizards. All right. <laughs> well, thank you, Al. That was a journey. Um, <laughs> little open, Annie. Um, that brings us to the production of the film itself. Um, it was, of course, uh, based off the stage play, um, which uh, ran uh, from 1977 into, uh, let's see, it ran until 1983. It had a revival, which ran from 97 through uh, two th through 98. Um, it had a UK tour that went off and on throughout the 2000s. It was revived in 2012. Um, and is currently touring this year, right now. We can go see... Mm -hmm. Annie will probably come to your town if you live in a major city with a uh, with a decent sized theater. Um, it came or is coming here. Um, Tucson's a test city, though. A lot of off Broadway yeah, shows. We get here. a lot, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is um, where that comes from. The the 
the uh, original uh, poem that Al me- mentioned, Little Orphant Annie. Um, there was two film versions, two silent films made based on the poem that predated the uh, comic strip. Um, the poem is mostly about goblins. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like a creepy, uh-huh. scary thing where goblins will come and eat children. This needed like 70% more goblins. <laughs> it did. Uh, um, the f- Let's see. The, the, uh, the stage play was... Uh, they, they began work on the book in 1972. Uh, it took... Uh, with music by Charles Strauss, lyrics by Martin uh, Sharman. Um, Strauss and Sharman. Let's see. Uh, they did Bye Bye Birdie. Um, Before we get too far away, um, the original poem, the original title of that was The Elf Child. Mm. Since you mentioned the theme. Uh, anyway, sorry. Cool. Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They the it was, let's see. Uh, Strauss and Sharman they did "Bye Bye Birdie." Um, well, Sharman did. Lyrics were done by Lee Adams. Um, whew, that was his biggest, most lasting one outside of Annie. He did a bunch of others. He also did the music for "All Dogs Go to Heaven" in the nineties. Let's see. Uh, Martin Sharman uh, also uh, did the. Let's see. He started as a performer. Um, he let's see. He he wrote the lyrics to the way we were. Um. <laughs> I was listening to a song that reminded me of the way we were. Is that the song that Marge is singing at the begin? Marge and Homer are singing at the beginning of the way we was. Bum, 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 bum. No, no, that's the Archie. That's Archie. Arch. Oh, okay. Yeah, the way we were is um the Barbara Streisand movie. <laughs> that was uh those were the days. Yeah, those were the days. Thank you. There was a stage sequel called Annie Warbucks. Oh, those were the days. That was from All in the Family. Yeah, All in the Family. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the sequel, Annie Warbucks, did not do so well. It uh, played. Let's see. It uh, opened in 1993 and played for just a little while in 1993. Um. So uh, the film. It was uh, directed. By John Houston. Yeah, man. Which is a weird, weird choice for Annie the Musical, I think, but it worked out. Um, it had been directed on Broadway by Mike Nichols. They even say so in the credits of this. Yeah. But um, yeah, some interesting, like, Mike Nichols is brilliant, but he was kind of a serious. You, you picture these dudes and you're like, how did they work with 60 kids? Yeah. How did John Huston direct this movie? The man that made the Maltese Falcon, the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Key Largo, um, uh, Pritzi's Honor. Um, yep. What else? Like, 
I feel like well, that, and he was no across in Chinatown. The misfits. Yeah, the misfits. Yep. Yes. Yeah, like so, of wow. course his kids, Angelica and Danny, both yes. well-known uh, actors. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you mention the African Queen? Oh, I didn't. He did. I that. really liked that movie. African oh, Queen is great. So good. All of his bogey the, work, it, I loved. All of oh, the yeah. bogey pictures. Key Largo is just way ahead of its time. Key Largo is incredible. Just, it's so good during the hurricane. Oh. Yeah, it's a good movie. He was one of several directors uh, co-directing on Casino Royale. Oh, yeah. Oh, the original. The yeah. one with yeah. The yeah. Peter Sellers, David yeah. Niven. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, weird choice, but he made it work. It's a good film. Uh, I think the uh, the staging of the numbers and everything is good. Oh, yeah. It's hard to film choreographed dancing in an interesting way you, the yeah. the habit is just to put the camera on a tripod and catch the dancing he does some dynamic shit in this he really does yeah um yeah and even like uh the tribute in the middle there when they're at the the at radio city music hall the the tribute to like the old busby stuff is great right yeah uh it was uh the screenplay was by uh carol sobieski um, she also wrote Fried Green Tomatoes. Um, what? Yeah. Uh, the Toy, the the Richard Pryor, Jackie Gleason movie. Um, wow. She wrote a 1988 TV movie version of The Born Identity. Wow. Because that was a 1980 huh. novel by Robert Ludlum. Um, yeah, her very... <laughs> she also wrote the 1991 Sarah Plain and Tall. <laughs> Sarah Plain and Tall. <laughs> so she does it all. Like, Yeah, yeah. Um, her very last uh, screenplay was uh, 1993's Money for Nothing, uh, which... That starred uh, John Cusack. I vaguely remember that movie, very vaguely. Yeah. Um, oof. Yeah. Um, let's see. This stars, of course, Eileen Quinn as Annie. Uh, Eileen Quinn would go on to, um, well, not much. She was in. A, let's see. She 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 voiced Dorothy in a 1982 Wizard of the uh, the Wizard of Oz uh, animated uh, feature. <laughs> that show about prison, right? She uh, gosh, she was in the Frog Prince in 1986 as Princess Zora. Um, all right. Yeah, like very very little. Um. Let's see. We have Albert Finney as Oliver Warbucks. Albert Finney. Just crushing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Albert Finney. uh, Let's see. Tom Jones. Uh, He was. Oh, he was in Scrooge, the 1970s Scrooge. Um, uh, Let's see. Ooh, what else is he most well known for? He's been in so many things. Uh, Miller's Crossing. Oh yeah, he was great in that. Um, Big Fish. Aaron Brockovich. Um, let's see. He passed away in 2019. 
Um, and uh, oh, he was in Skyfall. Uh, oh. <clears throat> he was also in the Bourne Ultimatum and the Bourne Legacy. Hmm. Bringing right. the Bournes back around. Yeah. yeah. Skyfall <laughs> was his last movie. I don't think I realized that. Um, I didn't either. <laughs> is, is he the groundskeeper in Skyfall? Is he the like guy who's like, oh, you're back. This is your father's land here. You yeah, the house in like cemetery That's, at the end. Yeah, yeah. It's Albert Finney. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. That was an interesting Bond movie, man. Yeah, it was. I liked it. I don't know I how much it. I. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I don't know how good. much in the series because it was. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, it was. I yeah, mean, was I, like, I I feel like the Daniel Craig run of Skyfall was really interesting. I'm not, I like I, Daniel I, Craig's Bond. Yeah. Yeah, I liked him. I just rewatched for the first time since like whenever it came out. The girl with the dragon tattoo. He is so good. Oh that. yeah. I forgot that they're the all Ryan supposed Johnson. to be Swedish, though, speaking with British accents. I still have never seen <laughs> the American versions. I've only seen the Swedish first one. And it, yeah. I mean, the Swedish first one is, is you know, it's honestly, that's one of the few instances where I feel like the American version rivals the original. Like, it's, I mean, it's Fincher. It's really fucking good. Yeah. I think the... The American version was what? Girl with the dolphin dead? <laughs> Girl with the dolphin tramp stamp. Girl with the, yeah, the mistranslated Chinese symbol. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it means fried rice. Uh, um, Carol Burnett starred as Miss Hannigan. The fucking oh God. national Queen. treasure, Carol Burnett. Um, so this was Jude's uh, introduction to two things, Carol Burnett, and he was immediately like, who is that? And I got to tell him a little bit about her. And the second thing he was introduced to was ventriloquism on the radio, which I got to explain to Charlie, Charlie McCarthy to him. Charlie McCarthy, yeah. Oh, my God. Tell him to look up sketches from the Carol Burnett show. No, I did. I did. It's all streaming. Okay, because just the Tim Conway and Harvey Corman. Yeah, oh no, it's God. all streaming on Peacock, and I told him to go watch it or watch YouTube sketches. At least YouTube, yeah. Yeah. The dentist. Oh my god, yeah. The the gone with the wind. <laughs> oh my, yeah, I just I saw it in the window and I just had to have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carol for anyone who doesn't know, Carol Burnett uh was the star of the Carol Burnett show, which ran for eleven years. Um sketch comedy, uh amazing show. Uh she got her start um doing um stand up in the early sixties. Um, she was one of the first female stand-ups. Kind of, uh, she, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's about. She she heavily influenced Mrs. Maisel, the show. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I see. Uh, but um, let's see. As far that I mean, that's probably what she was most well known for was her show. She had a ton yeah. of film roles. Um, none of them were super. Well, she got she did that real serious. What was it? Ordinary people. Yeah. Or yeah, with Timothy Hutton and uh, Donald Sutherland. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Um, but sure. another one of those like she wasn't conventionally pretty or beautiful, but still was, and just yeah, the comic timing that woman had. Yeah, she 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 cool. uh, she voiced um. Cheryl Burnett in Toy Story 4. A chair. <laughs> yeah, Cheryl. Yeah. Uh um yeah, she's um God, she's still working. 
She's still working. She. Oh my god, that's right. She was in four episodes of Better Call Saul. She's in the last season. I forgot yeah. about that. She's yeah, she, and an incredible, incredible weird role for her too. God, so fun. Yeah, has she gotten the Kennedy Center? She should have. Uh, if she did it out loud. Yeah, but she's 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 ninety years old. Um, Anne Rankin as Grace. Uh, let's see. She did a lot of. She was she was a big musical uh, actress. She's so familiar, and her name means nothing. I don't know how to. Yeah. Well, no, I I recognize the rank the the name, but like it's just one of those ones where I feel like it's a seventies thing that I just was too young to know. She was in um. Uh, the 1977 film version of Chicago, Sweet Charity, Good Time Charlie, all musicals. She was a big yeah. musical actress. Um, all that jazz. This oh, all that jazz. God, that is one I want to do someday. All that jazz That's is fucking sick. amazing. Yeah. Um. Oh, cabaret. So yeah, I could do musicals. I could dig in. Oh yeah. Don't tempt me. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Tim Curry as Rooster Hannigan. Um, it's fucking Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah, what's so interesting about this portrayal is we've all heard him do a quite passable American accent. This one, though, I would not describe not, as quite passable. I would feel like he's not trying, but he is. It's very strange. It was really in and out. He, it was a lot of like, yeah. yeah, it was like, I just got out of the jail. <laughs> Yeah, it, it yeah. Maybe like, he hadn't perfected his American accent yet, but yeah, it was it was yeah, it was not great. But of course, yeah. But yet his performance just chef's kiss. Yeah, absolutely. the the mustache on top of mustache is just God. Um, there he's probably most. The most recent thing he's done is reply to people thinking he was dead on Twitter. Yeah. He's in kind of rough shape, but his mind is still sharp. Yeah. Yeah. He's gone through some physical things lately, and he is rather old. Um, Bernadette Peters played Lily St. Regis. Um, uh, what is she best known for? She, um, well, I love her in The Jerk, which was one of my favorites. Jerk. Yes. movies of all time but she was yeah. big on broadway as well she was one of those crossover stars yes yeah sunday in the park with george uh the goodbye girl um yeah the goodbye girl. Nice uh annie time. get your gun she <laughs> that's a cute one yeah um uh she did a lot the of muppet, muppet show muppet show appearances yeah yeah she sounds like a muppet she does um Let's see. She was most recently in Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, a terrible TV show. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's also still kicking around, still taking parts. Um, Edward Herman played Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the 32nd <laughs> yep. president of the United States. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, the Lost Boys, but he's been in so many things. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, uh, per, uh, speak, we mentioned Purple Rose of Cairo. He was in The Aviator. Um, Overboard. He was in Overboard. Oh, yes, he sure was. 
Uh, um, he. Oh, he was the dad in Gilmore Girls. I forgot about that. The Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, he's also. Oh no, he passed away in 2014. Oh, he did. Yeah. Okay. Um. But he's still working. Yeah. He. Oh, prior <laughs> those child labor, those ghost labor laws. Yeah. Prior to this movie, he played Franklin Roosevelt in the the miniseries Eleanor and Franklin, which ran in 1976. That whirlwind romance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I. Oh, he was. Hang on. He was Nelson Rockefeller in Nixon. Uh, he was William Randolph Hearst oh. in The Cat's Meow. He's been hearsed a couple times, I feel like. Yeah, I totally remember him in Nixon. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, those names caught my my eye. Lois DeBanzi played Eleanor. Um, She, wow. Let's see. She has a crazy filmography. So she was in Tootsie, Sudden Impact, Arachnophobia, Sister Act, Adam's Family Values, Naked Gun 33 and a third, the final insult, and her final film was Dunstan Checks In. (laughs) He sure did. What of who? Who's Eleanor? Oh, Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt, yeah. Yeah, the woman who played her. Yeah, Yeah. gotcha. Um, I I think the funny, one of the funniest facts about Eleanor Roosevelt is that um, she had a uh, an affair with Amelia Earhart. <laughs> That's the most 1930s affair I've ever heard of. <laughs> and the Lindbergh baby was watching. <laughs> Is that a real thing? Is that real what you're saying? It, 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 it's not I mean, it's not confirmed, but it's high it's lore. It, yeah, well, it's yeah, it's there's a lot of evidence that it's most likely true. There was also a wow. Russian sniper, a female one that Eleanor was very enamored with. And during the early parts of World War II, she like brought her over for a tour because, of course, it was the communist, the Bolsheviks who were fighting. Yeah, the Germans. Eleanor loved. And the supposedly, she yes, definitely. <laughs> because if she wanted to have an affair, she just went upstairs. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, <laughs> God damn it. That's a way, Homer. That was great. Uh, Jeffrey Holder played Poonjab. Um, Andrew yeah, showed I mean, me. He played the shit out of that role. He did. He did. Um, let's see. Jeffrey Holder's probably uh, outside of this <laughs> best known as uh, playing Baron Samedi in Live and Let Die. Yep. And the Seven Up commercials. The Seven Up commercials. That's where I know him best. Yeah. The no oh, caffeine absolutely. guy. Yeah. Uh, but um, Live and Let Die is my favorite one. Yeah. God, yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's so 70s delicious. Oh, wow. He was in House of Flowers. Um, he was in the 1967 Doctor Doolittle. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. He, he worked a lot in the 60s and 70s. Um, Rex Harrison. Yeah. Um, he also passed away in 2014. Um, <laughs> so he got to see the final little and he strips. He did. <laughs> I guess we all did. Uh, well, yeah. All right. 
Yeah, we all have the opportunity to. It doesn't mean we took it. <laughs> I had no idea. Like that, sh- that chick hasn't aged out of the system yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, Peter Marshall played Burt Healy, the radio show host. He was a uh, Hollywood Squares guy. Oh. The, the host of the Hollywood Squares. Well, Burt uh, Healy was a real person, I think, right? Real radio personality. Maybe. I th- maybe. I don't know. I have no the idea. The name sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, and then there's all the orphans, and I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, and, of course, the Rockettes played themselves. Huh? That's cool. Uh, did any of the orphans become famous people? I'm looking through the names, and I'm not recognizing any of them. Um, I, I didn't uh, recognize anybody of note. I. It's hard for me to uh, put names to the faces except for a couple of them. But April Lerman was Kate. Uh, she was on Charles in Charge. She was the the nerdy sister that they got rid of. Oh, who was the littlest one? The little the Did six she Molly. Like Molly, the one, yeah, because she yeah. was a pip. Did she work? She kept petting her face. Yeah, uh, no, oh, she doesn't really have did all kinds. Else. She's a dynamic little actor. She doesn't really have any other credits to speak of. Uh, yeah. Um. They all died in a textile mill because the creator advocated for their labor. Yeah, the triangle shirtwaist flyers about these kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and he got them all jobs. Yeah. I almost forgot the dog catcher was uh, Larry Hankin. Um, he, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. He, Famous he, character actor. Yeah. Escape from Alcatraz, Running Scared, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um, he played the, the upstairs neighbor on Friends. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on uh, Home Alone. Yes, yes. Hyper on two. Uh, so, um, yeah. So that's about it for the production of the film. It was reviewed by Siskel and Ebert. One of them works for the Tribune, where it originated. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I wonder if he liked it. Which one? We. <laughs> I think uh, Ebert was the Tribune. And, yeah, I should know because they would say and it. Gene Siskel of no, no, Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun. Chicago Sun Times. Yeah. So, all right, here we go. Siskel and Ebert. Our next film is Annie, which is one of the most expensive musicals ever made, and it sure looks like it. The sets in this movie are sumptuous. The production numbers are sensational. Daddy Warbucks Mansion looks like the First National Bank. It looks great even when it's not so entertaining. The movie stars Eileen Quinn as Little Orphan Annie, the plucky heroine of the famous comic strip that combined right-wing politics with a cliffhanging series of emergencies every week, every Sunday, week Mm. after week. Here's a scene from early in the movie where Annie defends her dog, Sandy, against some mean little boys. She's got the true grit. You get the idea there that Annie can really take care of herself. Annie lives in an orphanage that's ruled over by a stern dictator, Miss Hannigan, played by Carol Burnett, as kind of a cross between Cinderella's stepmother and Dudley Moore's Arthur. She's drunk all through the movie. Kind of funny. One day, the orphanage is visited by Daddy Warbuck's secretary, played by Anne Reinking. That's the British actor Albert Finney as Daddy Warbuck's kind of an unexpected casting, but he's, he's really pretty good in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that musical number gives you something to the flavor of Annie, which is wholesome, cheerful, upbeat, and relentlessly energetic. I was exhausted after I saw this movie. (laughs) Eileen Quinn is at the center of everything as Annie. She's a tirelessly efficient and talented little girl, sort of a miniature Ethel Merman, real trooper out there, pounding away on the boards. But she's right for this movie, which is flashy, slick, superficial, 
and entertaining. He's not wrong. I didn't believe in the movie for one moment. I didn't really care about Little Orphan Annie. I never believed she was really in <laughs> very much trouble, and yet somehow, I guess I did enjoy the movie in a silly, superficial way. Annie is like a brainless toy. You wind it up, it goes around and around. You can't do anything with it, but it's fun to watch. I am really of two minds on this picture. Mm -hmm. I disagree with you on a lot of the things that you liked about the film. I don't think the little girl was particularly interesting. She really? couldn't sing very well. What? Uh, I thought that the sets, and especially, of course, the orphanage isn't supposed to look attractive, but I thought it sort of deadened the picture. And um, I, at the same time, I know what you're saying. I have sort of a grudging enjoyment of the film because of Albert Finney. I thought that he just stole the movie and that it became not the story of this little girl and whether she's going to make it or not. That's a given, as you mentioned. But Daddy Warbucks changing from a cold, heartless kind of person to a lover of orphans. Yeah, and, and, and I found that very appealing. And I watched this movie for him, and I recommend it for him to see him take a role and see a real actor, because Finney is certainly that, transform an entire movie away from a little girl to a story of a, of a man. So I didn't get this. Did you like the movie or not? There are lots of things I didn't like. I didn't think it was good uh -huh. as it should have been. I expected something on the order of My Fair Lady, a great musical uh -huh. on film, uh -huh. and yet I still enjoyed it. I'm right on the fence, too. A kind of grudging admiration. It just I don't it know, had I, only really taken off. It had been a little more light-footed, a little more cheerful. In they its... blew it, everybody except Albert Finney. Okay. On Annie, strange reviews. Roger found the movie brainless but fun. I like Albert Finney in the movie a lot, but I thought the film looked bad and that Annie was a bore. So two grudging, reluctant yes votes for Annie. Wow. Um, okay. Grudging and reluctant yes votes is usually just no on both yeah, of them. Usually. He usually. is. I swear to God. Yeah. Of course it's mindless. How, how intellectual do you want a Sunday comic strip to to be, or a musical based on a Sunday comic strip. Exactly. Now you start filtering it down even more, and it's like, what, what? Yeah, it's that's like, yeah. The more of these I watch, the more I'm like, I Roger was carrying Gene <laughs> the entire time. But I I thought Eileen Quinn was fantastic. Absolutely. I think Annie Annie steals the entire movie. Yeah. Um, and I think it looked great. It looked like the Depression. Yeah. It was obviously backlots, but it's a musical. It's supposed to look like backlots. And it looked old timey. Her, yeah. her tap about? dancing at the end was blew me away. Oh, her cute little face when she puts her fists up yeah. and you know, just she did a great job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Where Gene Sisko's like finally. An old white guy can show. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear him say that? He's like, instead of being a movie about this little girl, it's the story of a man. Finally. Finally, a man. <laughs> Finally. Finally, a white man gets to tell his tale. Oh, rich white dude. Finally, we get to hear what they well, think. Finally. Finally. What's his take? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. He so loves money. And he loves money. I love money. He says it literally. I love money. Yeah. I love power. I love capitalism. Yeah. Can we I get mean, a Warbucks prequel? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where he starts in uh, Liverpool. Liverpool. Or Fab. Uh, okay. Well, guys, are we ready to jump into the movie itself? <laughs> I thought we had. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, this is Annie. We open 
on a title card and a credit sequence to tomorrow, the full chorus version of tomorrow. Um, it goes for a while. <laughs> well, it's kind of like an overture, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. It's like, yeah. Um, and then it starts with the chorus, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it just opens tomorrow. Yeah, 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 uh, not the intro. Yeah, at least they chopped off that first verse. Yeah, save it for later. Save <laughs> it for yep. the president. Little, little taste. Save it for, for the, the president. president. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, bitch, save it for the president. <laughs> uh, we fade up on the Hudson Street Orphanage in New York City, 1933. I, I, wait, wait. Okay. So, no, actually, I'll save it. I'll save it. Okay. It's the middle of the night, and a young orphan named Annie is singing Maybe. That's our real, real fievel. <laughs> yes, somewhere out Five. there feeling. <laughs> uh, um, a younger orphan wakes up crying. Annie comforts her. They sings a little bit more. Then all the orphans wake up. They begin arguing and horsing around until they're heard by Miss Hannigan, their orphan keeper. <laughs> the ruler of the orphanarium. Yeah. <laughs> they're having a nightmare. Do, or, do orphans in the Depression have any other kinds of dreams? Right. Yeah, it's the Depression and I'm an orphan. <laughs> Things ain't yeah. great. My, my random memory is just that. I think the proper term is orphaneer. <laughs> an orphaneer. <laughs> the technical term. Right. In the dealing of orphans. Uh, um, yeah. Miss Hadigan comes in drunk, tells them that since they're awake, they might as well start cleaning. And yep. we get it's a hard knock life for us. Classic, man. Yeah. One of. Yeah. I just I love this. This number in particular is just off the charts. Amazing. There's a reason that Jay-Z uh, <laughs> used it. The sure. song, but also the blocking oh, the number that's is what so I mean. good. Yeah. How does how does Gene how did Gene and Roger think that's boring or poorly done? So and with children. Yeah, no. How do you watch It's a Hard Knock Life and think like meh, meh? Well, and it's one thing to watch like 50 adults do choreographed dance. It is still impressive and, and it's great, but yeah, they're all grown. But to get kids to do all those moves all together, yeah, it's yeah. defeat. And then it culminates in a spot on, like, there's a whole verse or two of Molly, little Molly, doing mm -hmm. a Miss Hannigan impression. Yes. Rushing it. Uh, a little pig tea. droppings. <laughs> yes. Yeah, to the T. Yeah. Like, so, so essentially, this little actor is doing a Carol Burnett impression as almost as good as Carol Burnett. Yeah, no, no. This number, it's a hard knock life. That I think it stands up with any musical number ever put to film. For real. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, and every little kid, their performance is incredible, and like mm -hmm. just weird enough to be a, like a living thing. Yeah, and very dynamic camera work. Yeah. I thought absolutely up yeah. and down, up and down stairs, um, following one character, then switching to another character. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Wasn't boring. That's absolutely not. Um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Well, number. I mean, giving 
getting good performances out of uh, child actors is like a testament to the director, right? Because they make Absolutely. them feel comfortable on set and they make them feel like they're having a good time at least doing it. Yeah. You can see that, especially in that opening number. You get I them just, to sync up. I you imagine, have to be very aware of your partners to be able to sync up. Kids yeah. are not quite spatially aware yet. It takes a lot of work. I just imagine yeah. the entire time John Houston be like, all right, kids, cut around. So what I told Bogey was... <laughs> exactly. So Jack is dating my daughter, right? Yeah. Uh, um, after the number, Annie sneaks out in the laundry basket with the help from Mr. Bundles, the laundry man. I mean, that's a real fate type situation. What else was he going to do? Right. Except maybe <laughs> marijuana trafficking. I mean, Mr. Bundles. Every, uh, like almost everyone in, in Annie has a lot. La- as uh what what is that when your name predetermines yeah. what you do there's a wor- there's a phrase there's a word for that i can't remember what it is yeah there's like predeterminism like something like that miller and cobbler war bucks <laughs> yep yeah um so uh yeah uh miss hannigan is rather thirsty for mr bundles um but annie gets away with him uh mr bundles lets, sets her free out on the street she dodges a cop and finds a group of boys teasing a stray dog. She rescues him and names him Sandy. Um, then uh, manages to keep him away from the dog catcher. But then she does finally get caught by a police officer who takes her back to the orphanarium. Um, she doesn't want him at first. But I guess in the course of singing Dumb Dog, she grew to like him. Yeah. Well, they probably, it's definitely not a no-kill shelter. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to. (laughs) They're just, they don't want to eat him when he comes back as processed meat. Yeah, they mentioned the sausage factory a number of times. A number of times. Yeah. But during the Depression. (laughs) But it is quite funny where she goes across the street to call. Sandy over and and slowly all of the other bystanders who are working and milling on the street start to try to call the dog too. Yeah. Yeah. Cute. Uh um back at the orphanage, she sneaks in Sandy. Uh the kids reprise dumb dog and uh cross with Sandy. Um Miss Hannigan discovers Sandy and puts both Annie and Sandy in the paddle closet. As punishment. Um, <laughs> yes, sir, uh, ma'am. Says, another. Says she's going to send Sandy to the sausage factory. Once again. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Uh, just then, Grace Farrell, the secretary to billionaire Oliver Warbucks. All right. Billionaire. They make a point that he's not a millionaire. He's yeah. a billionaire. In 1933, the gross domestic product of the United States of America was $69 billion, which means even if he only had $1 billion, he is personally, just him, all I himself, the 1.5%. Yeah. I uh, I don't think it's real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a possibility that number may not have been accurate. <laughs> so, Yeah. I, yeah, I have a lot of questions about the, but yeah, I mean, his he's relationship supposed, with FDR and everything too. Well, I was gonna say he's supposed to be like Morgan Rockefeller Hearst, like he's supposed to be an amalgam of 
all of these barons and these robber barons and yeah, he's everybody. Yeah. Getty, DuPont, everybody, all those. Yeah, he was all. Because <laughs> Gene Siskel's like, finally, the white man's story. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so, all right, put, all right, for um, a billion dollars in 1933 equals $23 trillion today. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. It's like, uh, did he invent war? <laughs> like, yeah, seriously. He's been getting royalties ever since. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, she arrives, she's going to invite an orphan to live with, uh, with Mr. Warbucks for a week to improve his public image. Okay. So if you were worth trillions, would you give two shits what people thought of you? Never. Look at Elon Musk. (laughs) I would literally never do anything again. That Right. There's true. Yeah, there is that. Like, like, oh, he, he has a bad image in the press. To, <laughs> oh, like, so? I, I really don't understand people. $10 million, and I would literally never do anything again. Well, I, would, I could make a million stretch the rest of my life. Yeah. Are you sure? I'd be, I'd, do, I'd be on vacation forever. Yeah, I would never. Uh, yeah. Those people who are like, I won the lottery and I still went to work because I love it. <laughs> like, fuck you. Fuck you. That's fuck you, depressing. Charlene. Yeah. Anyways, um, and I work with kids, so it would be just be like, sorry, kids. <laughs> You're on your own. I'm out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, this is this is the first time where Jude went, ooh, because she, she, she says the phrase, he'd like to take, he'd like to borrow an orphan for the week, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Annie, who's in the paddle closet in Mrs. Hannigan's office, overhears this and cracks the door, um, starts charming Grace uh, and uh, to convinces her to choose her over Mrs. Hannigan's objections. Uh, gets her to, a, oh, go gets her to uh, describe the child he's quote unquote looking for, like making her pick, uh, choose her age. Mm hmm. In uh, the red hair, height in the uh, yeah yeah, um, so in her pluck yes. Annie and Sandy go to Warbucks's mansion. They meet his servants and the bodyguards Punjab and Asp, the Asp, the Asp. Yeah. Um, Hannigan didn't want to let her go because she's got a grudge against Annie. Yeah, yeah, but um. Grace Farrell threatens her job. Yeah. It was like, Mr. Warbucks knows your boss. Yeah, Mr. Warbucks knows everybody's boss. Everybody's boss. Yeah, yeah. he can call anyone. Grace is like the best fixer ever. Hell totally. Yeah. She, she's like, Ray Donovan. <laughs> yeah. She's Harvey Keitel. <laughs> Daddy Warbucks has no people. idea that. That she's out here like threatening people's livelihoods and shit to get him a kid. Yeah. She has that power. For the week. Like, yeah. Probably the way like Tom Hanks' personal assistant (laughs) (laughs) has power. (laughs) So back at the train station. I mean the mansion. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Yeah. So uh, uh, we get the number. I think I'm going to like it here. 
Um, Sandy. That is such a cute number, though. That is God, a, they're all so that's good. That's a big number, yeah. But <laughs> there's a lot of dance cleaning in this movie. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only way to do it. Yeah. Oh, my God. The guys I, who have the uh, dust rags. Yeah, and they're just running and, and sliding. I have to think that um, he has to pay more to get people to dance clean than he would have to pay a regular cleaning service. <laughs> yeah. Those interviews are interesting. Uh, let's see. Uh, Sandy gets a bath and escapes from the tub. Right as Mr. Warbuck, Warbucks arrives home. Uh, <laughs> he has the Mona Lisa. Um, which he doesn't like at first, but then he finds yeah. something about he about her her smile, so he has her hung in the bathroom. Yeah, um, it's larger than the actual one. Isn't that the uh, knives out plot? He has hey, the Mona Lisa yeah. in his foyer. <laughs> That's right. Hmm. Uh, Warbucks assaults a press photographer. Yes, yeah. he does. It's like, what's the pop doing in my house? He and Annie have one thing in common, and that's physical violence. That is true. <laughs> they, they choose. They bond violence. over liking to hit people, basically. Yeah, she she even kicks him later, but yeah, totally. Like, I think that's the one. moment when he turns, too. He's like, oh, damn, I've been hit like that since, since before I was rich. He's <laughs> like, I found my third bodyguard. Yeah. I made a good choice. Getting, Ginger snap. I made a good choice buying a little girl. <laughs> I wanted to buy a little boy, but you know what? Yeah, he wanted to buy a little boy, but he got a little girl when he was convinced to keep her. Um. Anyways, uh, yeah. Instead of shooting her, as was the custom at the time. At first, he wants to give her back because she's a girl. But then he's... He's convinced by Grace and her and Annie's charm to let her stay. Uh, we cut back to the orphanage. Miss Hannigan is drunk off her bathtub gin uh, and feeling a little bit sad. We get the number Little Girls. Um, Not to be confused with the Oingo Boingo song. Right. <laughs> the Danny Elfman. Uh... Uh, that, <laughs> then her, uh, ne'er-do-well brother, Rooster, shows up, fresh out of jail with his new girlfriend, Lily. They want money. Uh, Mrs. Hannigan says no, so they just snap it, or grab it from her purse. Uh, the shade she throws to Bernadette Peters to St. Regis. <laughs> Get this dumb hotel. <laughs> Get out of here. Yes. <laughs> but then she ashes down her blouse. Yes, that's sa- right. Savage. Savage. Yeah, absolutely. Um Yeah, it's interesting that she's making she's she's making her own bathtub gym because it takes place during prohibition. Um, yeah. Uh I like their uh their scam. Uh so Lily's going through the drawers while Rooster's talking to her. Uh, telling her about the the eighty dollars waiting for him at the track, and uh, Hannigan says no, and then um, she turns around and uh, has Lily. She, she spots Lily, just like give me my things back, and the the string of pearls that yeah. that was uber long, pulling it out like a clown scarf. Yeah, yeah, from her cleavage was was cute. Yeah, absolutely. 
Totally. Uh, meanwhile, Rooster is rummaging through her purse. Yeah. Uh, let's see. That night, the orphans reprise maybe. While Annie at the Warbucks mansion can't sleep, she visits Warbucks in his office where Sandy starts barking at an intruder outside and with the help of Queen Job and the Asp, stop a Bolshevik from assassinating Mr. Warbucks with a cartoon-style bomb. Hell yeah. yeah. Yep. It's this movie's so weird. Well, like Roger Ebert said, the right wing comic, apparently it was well known as being a right wing comic, which is wild. I had no idea. So, of course, it would be a communist that wants to take down daddy. Yep. I can't believe it's a daddy. That felt terrible. At first, I thought Warbucks was completely unaware of this intruder on the balcony because he's conducting business. He's dictating his letter the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, But then he, when Sandy, when it's all over, he tells Sandy, good job. Um, I think he's been aware the whole time, but he's just like, my guy's got it. Yeah, Yeah. they'll take care of it. I don't have to worry about this thing. Yeah, you know, you're not worth (laughs) translated trillions of dollars without a few assassination attempts yeah, yeah. um she's a smooth operator she, she yeah really <laughs> is the chardonnay of his time <laughs> yeah um she uh uh grace tells annie that the bolsheviks hate mr warbucks because he's proof that capitalism works <laughs> yeah look at how much money that guy has that's they, they hate our freedom <laughs> yeah we can't uh, let on that this works. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she doesn't say capitalism. She says the American system. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. Which is funny because they're in the middle of the Great Depression. But I guess the whole world was at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it was worldwide. But I mean, still. Um, what, what helped the Great Depression was FDR's fucking New Deal and World War II. Right. Yeah. War bucks. Warbucks, Warbucks. So uh, later, Annie and Sandy go swimming with Mr. Warbucks. Uh, Then we get a scene of them playing while Mr. Warbucks tries to work. And apparently, apparently, uh, magic is real because Poonchop is making the airplane fly through magic. Mm -hmm. He can levitate objects. Yeah. Uh, I didn't I didn't see a wire. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, no, that no. In universe, did not spot a wire on that. <laughs> no, oh yeah, no, it was a good effect. And in universe, Punjab was just magic. Um, he's talking. You mean effect? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Seven Up guy is just magic. Um, Seems he, like he's using uh, live and let die voodoo. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um. Let's see. He, he's uh, on the phone with. Is he on the phone with FDR? Or is FDR just trying to reach him? Uh, FDR's just trying to reach him. I think it was in the previous scene uh, with the Bolshevik. He said that FDR called him like six times that day. Mm-hmm. That's right. And he tells him she'd like to visit the president. Mr. Warbuck instead suggests they go to the movies. And he's never seen one. Mr. Uh, Warbucks isn't going to go with her at first, but then when Annie gives him a real sob story. Like, well, I guess it's better if I don't go. Oh, she's got manipulation down pat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. From the get-go. 
She's working this guy. Absolutely. With her, She's a with her cheeriness <laughs> and her optimism. <laughs> um, and her, it's okay. Yeah. Life is fine. Her child attitude. It's, it's better if I just die in a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see what yeah. I'm missing. Like, like, yeah, exactly. Like, like, like an elderly mother, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> guilting you. Yeah. Um. So the Annie and Grace start. Uh, Mr. Warbucks is convinced. He uh, calls to buy out the 8 p.m. showing at Radio City Music Hall. Annie and Grace get ready. Uh, we get the number movies. Which, Which is another great choreographed number. Like, great Grace is just a great dancer, man. Yeah, and this is like a huge one. They go to Radio City Music Hall. There's the Rockettes. Um, yeah. Um. So yeah, the the it, the number plays all through that. Um, they go to see the nineteenth, the movie Camille, which I would point out came out in nineteen thirty six. <laughs> so immersion right. ruined. Um they the song name checks uh RKO, Columbia, Universal, Jack Warner, Sam Goldwyn, MGM, and Zanuck. Oh wow. Um, RKO produced the first Little Orphan Annie movie in 1932. And Columbia produced this movie. Um because I was curious, RKO the studio existed mm-hmm. um, as RKO uh, up until, let's see, it was the uh, late 80s. Um, well, who founded it? Oh, uh, it was. Let's see. It was it was one of the original big five. Uh, it was. Uh, it was <laughs> founded by. When Keith Albee Orpheum Theater, the theater chain, and the Joseph P. Kennedy Film Booking Offices oh. <laughs> formed um, under the control of RCA. Oh, Sarnoff. David Sarnoff. Yeah, there it is. Um, yeah, Sarnoff. Uh, but yeah, it 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 kept working all the way up until the eighties. Technically. I don't remember ever seeing an RKO movie like in the eighties, like an eighties RKO movie. Like I, but I don't um, know. Was the logo before uh, Rocky horror picture show? Yes. Were they an RKO picture? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The radio tower. Yeah. Yeah. They do have the RKO logo at the beginning. Yeah. And they even mention RKO in in the Rocky Horror. That was seventies. Oh, certainly they do. Yeah, it, yeah. Huh. That studio my, made everything. Citizens Kane and you know. Fort, Fort, uh, Fort my Street. source tells me that the studio was defunct in nineteen fifty nine. Um. They well, let's see. In nineteen, they had made, they had produced. Let's see. Uh, they changed into RKO General. Okay. Um, oh. They were bought out as and became RKO General. Um, then in 1981, um, they started co-producing some films um, through a subsidiary called RKO Pictures. Um, oh, they made Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Um, the movie Cat People, 
which David Bowie has a great song on the soundtrack of. Um, they were, let's see, and in 1987, they were bought by uh, a company called Westray, and they opened Six Flags. Six Flags <laughs> is partially owned by RKO, which is owned by another company, which was then Crazy. sold off to uh, post-serials heiress Dina Merrill. Okay. Oh, Dina. Dina Merrill. <laughs> oh, Dina. <laughs> yeah. They do technically still exist, but they don't do much these days. Hmm. So, um, yeah, RKO. Anyways, so uh, uh, she falls, Annie falls asleep during the movie. They carry, uh, Daddy Warbucks picks her up and carries her home. Um, the next day at breakfast, Grace urges him to adopt Annie. He initially refuses, but then after he sees Grace is sad, he realizes that he's in love with her and agrees to keep Annie and adopt her. Um, Grace and the staff perform the number, We Got Annie! <laughs> uh, then Mr. Warbucks goes to the orphanage. He meets with Miss... Uh. We got Annie containing the uh, stereotypical music motif for Punjab and the Asp. Yeah. Yeah, Punjab and the Asp are not the most uh, uh, racially sensitive characters, let's say. Or dimensional characters. No. They're very simple, magical accented guy wearing a turban uh -huh. at least the turban comes in handy later yeah yeah and the asp who just constantly was just being vaguely eastern asian and doing martial arts poses did he Kato, fly yeah. in a helicopter Kato character yeah the asp was the pilot i think the asp was the pilot while punjab <laughs> used his Turban to yeah, yeah save he's Andy. the crew chief, I guess. I can't, yeah, uh, so I, yeah. I looked up helicopter. 1939 was the first practical flight. Interesting. He did call it an was it aerocopter or something like that. Autocopter. Auto Autocopter. Autocopter. Yeah. 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 It was a made up device for this movie, but I was just it made me look that up. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about the fact that helicopters hadn't been invented yet. Um, no, I guess invented um, in theory or design, but the first practical flight was in 39. I guess as early as 1841, an inventor had um, made a prototype. Yeah. Um, sliced bread, which Annie mentions oh. at some point. I can't remember where, but Annie does mention, since we're talking about inventions of things, sliced bread was invented yep. in 1930. So it was pretty new. When she says the greatest <laughs> thing is in sliced bread, she meant the greatest thing in the last three years. <laughs> Betty White Did, was older than sliced bread. I remember that fact. But. Yeah. Didn't Leonardo da Vinci have a, a rudimentary uh, helicopter design that never it worked? Was it, have, yeah. it was a corkscrew. It was a corkscrew, yeah. It's, it didn't work. But yeah. no. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Leonardo da Vinci things that didn't work but were cool. Yeah. But yes, to answer your question, yeah. He uh, conceived of that. Um, yeah. 
the helicopter is fucking ingenious dimension, the invention. That's it's crazy. There's a lot of moving parts. The helicopters, helicopters are terrifying things. I've yeah, been in one it. once I and I will it. never really? do it again. Yeah. No, it's not for me, man. Um, I'll walk. <laughs> I'll meet you there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mr. Warbucks visits the orphanage. He meets Miss Hannigan and makes her sign the adoption papers. We get the number uh, sign. Um, threatening her with jail. Yeah. Because he is Daddy Warbucks and he can afford anything, literally. Um, he's citing prohibition violations, mm. the bathtub gin, and the mistreatment of orphans. Um, yeah. I, I think inside he's like not so, he's like okay with the bathtub gin. He's probably got some gin brewing in his house as well. Sure. Um, but, you know, he can use it. Yeah. Um, prohibition was repealed December 5th, 1933. So <laughs> this is takes place in July. She only had six months to go. Nice. Um, uh, yeah, he obviously can pull any strings. He calls up J. Edgar Hoover twice and basically barks at him, tells him what to do, which famously was not something people did. Maybe they had a special relationship. Well, it's just, yeah, he was a bill. Maybe he didn't live with him permanently, but maybe he, when he visited, you know. (laughs) Oh, I see. Wink, wink. And uh, Daddy. Daddy. Warbucks. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know, Dad. right? Jack yeah. was famously gay and had a living yes. room. <laughs> it was like, yeah, yeah. Daddy Warbucks. Like, yeah, what was his name? His name was Clive. Uh, yeah. But yes, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Hoover's the one that gave Warbucks the nickname Daddy. Yep. <laughs> I have a daddy kink. Well, his good thing, because I just threw some burgers on the grill, champ. <laughs> Let's toss the ball around. Yeah, now hold the fucking flashlight straight. God, God damn it, I'm trying to change the tire. <laughs> daddy, daddy king. Oh my God. Oh man, I love that response to the daddy king. I just threw some burgers on the grill. You're in luck. Wow. Champ, you got to call. I, yeah, champ. <laughs> I might steal that word for yeah. word, Josh. Champ. Oh, I, I didn't write that shit. I would. I know. <laughs> But wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Warbucks back at the mansion uh, reveals his plans to Annie, offers her a brand new locket. She says no. She explains that her parents left her a broken locket and uh, she'll get the other half when her parents returns. She knows they're out there somewhere. Um, they left a letter saying they'd be back. Warbucks, even though he's heartbroken, decides to help her find her parents. And they go on Bert Healy's radio show. He offers $50,000 to find Annie's parents. Uh, we get the number, you're never fully dressed without a smile, which I don't think I realized was written for this um, play. I thought it was like an old oh, standard. So did I. Yeah. Hey, Dappadan, hey. Yeah, it was written for wow, huh. the, the Broadway production of Annie. Awesome. Great, uh, great song. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's it's cute him not knowing how to read a script, talking over the uh, the stage directions. Yeah, did I just do an advertisement? Yeah. Uh, uh, this cause causes- and the 
the the state the radio i don't know handler um keeps getting knocked out by punjab because he's trying to silence people that aren't supposed to be talking yeah that's right when they're talking uh the his offer causes some uh mass hysteria a ton of people would be parents show up to claim the money um Grace says that Annie can't be exposed to that to, to escape the madness. Warbucks flies Annie in the autocopter to the White House. Well, uh, that's the craziest thing from New York to Washington. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then, an auto, oh, my God, that must have been terrifying. It did, because you, do you notice when they get there and she takes her goggles off or he takes them off? She looks terrified. She does. Yeah. Yeah. Annie uh um yeah so uh they meet franklin d roosevelt and eleanor roosevelt uh explains to them his plan to introduce the new deal warbucks is against it but he wants warbucks to head the new deal annie encourages warbucks to help and she sings tomorrow um this i'm i was i was actually surprised that there was like that this, I, I guess in my memory, I thought it, this was like a big number she did like all by herself, like in like a kind of like maybe at the beginning, mm-hmm. where it was like her big number, but she never sings it really alone. It's always the first is with FDR, <laughs> then at the end, who commands, who uses his presidential powers to command Warbucks to sing. <laughs> yeah, sing, to, sing tomorrow. <laughs> damn it. I'm the commander in chief. Warbucks <laughs> isn't in the military. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Trump was commanding Musk to sing Copacabana. Um. Anyways, <laughs> he would if he could. Absolutely. Uh, so um, they get home. When Grace tells them that none of the potential parents were real or knew about the locket, Annie is sad. Meanwhile, Miss Hannigan gets visited by Rooster and Lily again. Tim, he's, he's wearing a mustache on top of his mustache. And she it's doesn't a, recognize her brother. No. It's just a fuller mustache. And Lily just has a wig. Yeah. That's just her hair, but a different color. Yeah, exactly. It's the worst uh, disguises I've ever seen. Um, to be fair, Miss Hannigan's drunk. Okay, true. Off bathtub gin, which cannot, she can, considering that she makes the gin while she's drunk on the previous batch of gin, it, it cannot <laughs> yeah. have the uh, best quality control. Right. And she bathes in it sometimes. Yeah, she falls in it at one point. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, they used to make people blind back in the day. You know, making their own. Yeah, but she she's constantly drunk. Uh, is in the previous at the end of the uh, you're never fully dressed without a smile. I love when she comes in drunk. She's like, "Do I hear happiness in here?" <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, prohibition was wild. That's crazy that they thought they could stop people from drinking. Thirteen years. <laughs> Yeah, 13 years. 
Wow. It's insane. It, it made the mafia. It created yeah. organized crime in this country. Instantly, instantly, the entirety of the American population was absolutely not. We are not going to stop drinking. And in fact, we're going to drink more. Yeah, it's going to become an industry. In fact, the Kennedys. Yeah. Um, to be fair, um, I read a statistic that prior to prohibition, the average adult male drank an average of six gallons of alcohol per week. <laughs> yeah, Whether, man. People okay. will abuse shit, but like I said, they will never not. Yeah. So they, like I said, they went blind. They killed themselves just drinking rock gut, you know, whatever. Yeah. Let people get fucked up already. Yeah, just, yeah. So, uh, let's see. They sh- yeah, they Rooster and Lily St. Regis show back up. They plot to pose as Annie's parents to get the reward. Um, Hannigan remembers that uh, Annie's parents uh, were killed in a fire and sent a box. She has the other half of the locket in a box. Um, they do the number Easy Street. Um, the orphans, however, overhear the conversation and they try to sneak out, but they get discovered and locked up. Um, Rooster and Lily show up at the Warbucks mansion and succeed in convincing everybody that they're Annie's parents. Um, Annie's going to leave with them, and Warbucks is sad about that. Meanwhile, the orphan... Annie's not happy either. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I don't know. I don't know if she's... I don't know if she's just suspicious. I mean, they have all the evidence, but she just senses something's up. She gets a bad vibe, and plus it's finally, I think, hitting home that, like, wow, I could live with the richest man on Earth, (laughs) who's actually, like, really nice to me. Instead, I have to go live with Tim Curry and Bernadette Peters. (laughs) And Tim Curry has a fake mustache on top of his real mustache. I'll never know which mustache I'm talking to. (laughs) Be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, the orphans escape and they head towards the Warbucks mansion. Uh, uh, Annie leaves with uh, Rooster and Lily, um, who do get the check for $50,000. But in the car, Miss Hannigan is waiting. (laughs) Um, They uh, drive off and her friends, the orphans, uh, see them driving past and Sandy jumps out of the car and joins the orphans. Annie and the orphans. It's funny because they recognize Sandy, but they don't him. notice Annie or Miss Hannigan in the car. <laughs> They're just distracted by the dog. Um, At first I was shocked. Uh, the orphans find uh, number one Fifth Avenue and they have to go to 987 Fifth Avenue. Yeah. <clears throat> And they're all, uh, it was like, okay, they're orphans. They haven't done a lot of walking outside. Um, <laughs> but I was shocked because in Tucson, if you go from one to um, to 937 of any particular street on a straight shot, um, that is um, 0.8 miles. Okay. It's like 10 blocks. Yeah. Um, but... I looked it up in New York from number one Fifth Avenue to 987 Fifth Avenue. It's 3.7 miles and would take an hour and a half on foot. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a big walk. Um, 
So, uh, let's see. The orphans arrive at uh, Warbucks, Daddy Warbucks' house, and they tell him what's going on. He calls Leaping the, lizards. Yes. He calls the police. They begin a citywide search. Meanwhile, on the way out of town, Annie convinces them to pull over. Uh, but she grabs the she gets the check and escapes, destroying the check. Rooster chases Annie up a raised drawbridge, the uh the B and O bridge, uh, which most of us probably know best from Monopoly. <laughs> The B and O railroad. Yeah, is that it? Um, he's gonna kill her. Miss Hannigan realizes, and she tries to stop him. I guess she's all better now. Um, well, I don't think she's a murderer. I don't think she deserved to ride the elephant at the end. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> In the Star Wars like celebration. Yeah, exactly. Um. Rooster knocks her out and climbs up after Annie. Annie gets to the top, and uh, she's hanging off the edge of the bridge while Rooster's trying to pry her fingers off. Meanwhile, Poonjab, Poonjab, Jab, Jab, I don't know, uh, and the Asp are in the autocopter. He uses his, uh, his, his turban to climb down and rescue her um, from Rooster. Reuniting her with Daddy Warbucks and Grace. Rooster and Lily get arrested. Rooster slides all the way down the bridge. And Annie gets officially adopted by Warbucks at the party. Afterwards, it's the 4th of July. That's that's all yeah, the fireworks. Yeah. Yep. Um, God bless America. Yeah. Um, the orphans are all there. They they weren't just fireworks for Annie. No, it for was Annie. It was there was it was Fourth of July plus Annie, so it okay. was a double holiday. Annie Day, the declaration Which could of, be Annie Day, <laughs> the declaration of Annie Pendence. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. He's got a whole circus there. Yeah, he's got a circus. There's fireworks. Annie has her new locket. He kisses Grace, and we get the big final number. I don't need anything but you, which is, uh, which uh, goes along with we got Annie and tomorrow, um, Annie and uh, Daddy Warbucks did a great number together. They're dancing, they're spinning. Yeah. They it was good. They have a lot of chemistry too, you know. They really do. He seemed like she generally, you know, he started to cotton to her and actually like her. I mean, Gene uh, was right. He's got spunk. Albert Finney did a great job. Gene was right oh, about absolutely. that. Absolutely, but but Annie, like that girl, she is she's a firecracker. She is great. neither Gene or Roger even mentioned Carol Burnett, and it's like, how do you? I mean, they mentioned that she played her, but didn't even bring her up. Like what? Yeah, no, she was fabulous in this. Did um, did we mention that she was an understudy for the stage play? Uh, she knew all of the uh, other orphans' parts. She could do every other orphan's part. Oh, Eileen Quinn. Yeah. Wow. Um, so she she came to this performance with the entire thing in her head already, too. So it's not oh, like they fantastic. were like, we got to get her ready to be Annie. She you just know, right. she came all those months of prayer. prep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Kids had to they had to come to play. It wasn't like <laughs> well, those child labor laws were more like 
they could work in the uh, cinema minds for much yeah, longer. Yeah, isn't it interesting how child labor laws barely exist for for entertainment purposes? Yeah, yeah. It's not to have a tutor on set. Yeah. I didn't necessarily realize this from watching the movie, but Daddy Warbucks apparently adopted all those orphans. Oh, okay. well, that's, that's good. good to know, because it felt like they were just there for the day. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah. also the, uh, you know, when they kept coming back to the orphans, like having been orphans while Andy's yeah. playing, it's like, damn. Damn. I could just imagine being like a 40-year-old gardener and being like, I wish you'd fucking adopt me. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> He's got like, enough room. He makes me dance clean, but Annie can do whatever the fuck she wants. <laughs> Batman will adopt anybody, but why can't? Yeah. Um, yeah, credits roll. Um, that's Annie. Yeah, it's a part of my childhood. It's stood up. I was like, why haven't I watched this in a while? Yeah, so good. So good. Um, that's, that's what I was like. Yeah. Uh, a few changes from the stage play. The stage play uh, took place during Christmas. Um, oh. There wasn't the big uh, chase at the end. They were just foiled by the police as they were trying to sneak <laughs> in to kidnap Annie to Makes the mansion. Um, from a practical standpoint. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> yep. It holds up a lot. Uh we got any final thoughts on answered questions? Um, this movie has 49% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, what's up with that? Fuck those. Uh, people are, I don't know, against child labor. I mean, I imagine most of those no, came musicals. out in the early 80s. And notoriously, you know, critics will, be, will shit on big populist things. So... That's my guess. Um, I think yeah. I like I think I like this movie more as an adult than I did when I was a kid. To be honest, I might as well because now I appreciate the music on a different level. Yeah, yeah, I definitely appreciate it on a in a lot of different ways than I did then. A lot more different ways than I did then. Um, it does have. I, a, it I does, know what a Bolshevik is now. Right. I didn't know then. That's yeah. Um, it does have a sixty-nine percent audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so okay, it is a little more well liked. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, great movie, holds up. Um, yeah, that's all I got. What happened hey, to Miss Hannigan? She got to ride the elephant. She <laughs> yeah, got to ride think- the elephant. I think she's the live-in housekeeper. I think she's taking care of all of these newly adopted orphans. They didn't. He didn't make her the orphan czar. Now that her bloodlust has been taken away. Yeah. Well, (laughs) she had a change of heart. It's been sated after stopping (laughs) Rooster from murdering Annie. Um, She gets. She gets proper booze. Yeah, she doesn't have to to make her own bathtub gin. Yeah, no more eating sanitizer. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Um, I, I uh, wonder if he. uh, I assume he marries Grace at some point, and they, she becomes Annie's mother. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Annie Warbucks. The sequel was a name. 
earlier, and I certainly hope that she was adopted. <laughs> yeah. And not married this old man. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, He's a billionaire. Just saying. Um, I think that's about it for uh, Annie. Um, yeah. Great movie. If you have never watched it, you should. Um, so uh, that means it's time to look towards next week. And next week on Harmless Phosphorescence, we're going to be watching Brenda Starr, 1989. Oh, no. Brenda Starr starring Isn't Brooke, Brooke Shields. Shields. Brooke Shields, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what this is at all. Oh, yeah, you do, Brian. You're, you suggested we do it when we when we mentioned it during our Dick Tracy episode. Yeah, I've never a reporter, seen it. I think. No, no, I've never seen it either. I don't. I don't think many people have seen it. Was this my pick? It was. It wasn't your pick. You were like, "Oh yeah, we got to do that sometime." And this is the time. Another God comic strip based nineteen thirties uh, <laughs> era remake from the eighties. Don't very, listen to the things that I say. Very, when I say them. very similar to Annie and Dick Tracy <laughs> as far as like what its intent was. Definitely not as good as either of those films, if I'm to judge by what the internet says. Is it even available anywhere? Uh, it's free on YouTube. Okay. Oh. All right. Should do yeah. the Marvels, since it'll be fresh in our minds. It'll be a while till we... All right. Well, we've got it. We've got it. We've got... Before we can do the Marvels, we have to do uh, uh, Blue Beetle. All right. Um, after this, uh, we'll we'll get caught up with the uh, with our superhero movies after we get through this run of the uh, the um, the comic book movies that were uh, the non superhero comic movies we're doing. Word, <laughs> which are there is a lot we chose not to put onto this list. We did save ourselves some pain. But, uh, <laughs> we're not doing Richie <laughs> Rich. Um. <gasps> Uh, we're not doing Casper. Yeah, Richie Rich, Casper, um, Dennis the Menace. There's a lot we chose not to do. So yeah. Garfield. We're not doing either of the Garfield live action films. Thank goodness. So yeah. Um, but that is next week on Harmless Phosphorescence. Until then, thanks for hanging out with us. This has been your host, Thoreau Smiley, and I'm off to blow it out my old wazoo. <laughs> I'm Josh Cece, but you could call me Uncle No Bucks. All's well that ends well. No harm, no foul, my little scissor legs. I'm Brian Lesh. I'm like the fizz in a flat coke. I'll be in the cellar with the ghosts. I'm Alaric Weber. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. See you tomorrow. 